You need to dig up that Jamaican accent you were talking about earlier. <laughs> oh, I am terrible at it. Yeah, man, I'm terrible at the Jamaican accent. Yeah, man. <laughs> Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. Greetings, Earth creatures from the third planet in the solar system, and welcome to the episode of the RC Roundtable. I'm Fitzwalker, and joining me is Lee Ray. Cheerio. And... Okay, from England is Lee Ray uh, and Terry Dunn. How you doing? Hey, we're all together again. All right. Uh, and we have a special guest from Old School Model Works. We have Mr. Mark Lanterman. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, not only are, are we all together, but we have an extra person. So three's company, four is more company. <laughs> well, when you say together, that's in the modern sense. We're well, all connected yes. via wires and... Ether. Yes, the last few episodes, we some at least one of us was out. I think it was the last three episodes, right? I think. Yeah, who's counting? Yeah, something like that. Uh, whatever. So, I wasn't really into it on that one episode, so it's like I wasn't here. Okay. I was in Boston when y'all had the last show. In so Boston. I'm, I'm yeah. back, and you guys were doing your own thing the previous show. So, so it's how good was, to be back together. How how was the how was the uh, Yankee Land uh, tour there? Easy, big fella. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Mark, where are you? I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's Midland. Oh. <laughs> right next to WKRP? Exactly, yes. <laughs> All right. Half Bernie our audiences Anderson. have no idea what that means. Bernie Anderson and uh, what the, the turkey drop and all that stuff. <laughs> as, as, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> <laughs> Best lies ever. Uh, so, uh, Boston was great. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. No, I had a good time in Boston. The weather was uh, on again, off again, but uh, it was a family trip. My oldest, Austin, was there on a STEM trip, so he left earlier. And then my wife and my youngest, we caught up with him later. And wow, we had a great time. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's some of the the best parts. I've I've never been to another ball field except for Minute Maid Park. So, well, I say Astrodome, and then it was uh, Enron Field, and then it was Minute Maid. But I've never been to another field, so we got a tour of Fenway. And my youngest, Ryan, who's a baseball player, just was in heaven. We got to sit on the, the Green Giant and, you know, watch everything and learn a lot about it. And that was that was a really good highlight. But I'll tell you, Boston is gorgeous. I, I'm going to give him a little golf clap here. Their parks are just so beautiful. We don't have anything like that here in Houston. It's very luscious and very friendly. Lots of people walking around and having mm. a good time. So I really enjoyed the little vacation. Well, good. That's anything good. airplane or RC related? Zero. Oh, slacking. Slack I looked. I looked for RC fields, and they, they must like I have a TFR like DC or something. So there's just nothing. Well, yeah, not in Boston, but outside in <clears throat> Waltham or something. Well, yeah, we, uh, we pretty much stayed within say a five or ten mile radius of Boston. So oh, okay. We yeah, did. We did. Good, we did go to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Martha's Vineyard. And there and and I was chatting with uh, Terry and Fitz when I was on the ferry going over there. But there is a flying field on Martha's Vineyard, but he didn't get to go see it. But uh, yeah, gold plated yeah. runways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, 
real quick, the we went to Martha's Vineyard, never been there. We took a, a bus tour. It was a horrible bus tour. My <laughs> poor, my wife was so angry when we got off that bus. This guy was Jamaican. He was telling us, <laughs> he was speaking faster than I do. So you can imagine how difficult it was to listen to this guy. So he had, he, the, he had the accent. Ten, he had the accent. Uh, he had a yes. ten minute talk about his tough. Tri- you know, travels to America and getting the job there. Uh, it, it was like my wife was like, "Where are the really pretty houses? <laughs> Where are the be- so that do not take the bus tour." <laughs> when you go to, uh, it was very neat though. We hung out and, uh, but like I said, I didn't see any flying, so a little not, not too disappointed. I was I was there on vacation, but don't worry, I I got it all back when I came back to to Houston. We'll talk about that on our workbench uh, segment. All right. Uh, funny you talk about Jamaican. Did I tell you about my grandfather? No. No. Oh, <laughs> what about your grandfather? So, so my grandfather's Jamaican. Well, he was. He passed away some years ago, but he Wait, was like, he, well, off- he's still Jamaican. He's well, just yes. deceased. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mister uh, Webster. <laughs> So he was like off the boat. <laughs> Sorry, I, he was Jamaican. Yes. Nice. Well, he's no longer alive, so he's no longer a person, right? So well, he was. He, well, he'd technically still be Jamaican. All right. Sorry. Continue. Phil. Okay. Well, his bones are Jamaican. <laughs> well, anyways, he had a really thick accent. And so growing up, us kids, all our, his grandkids, we had no idea what the heck he was saying. Uh, it wasn't until like I was a young adult before I understood a word he was saying. But it was funny because it was my father, of course, being his son, understood him perfectly. And uh, so it was like listening to Han Solo and Chewbacca talking. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's probably how it felt like in that bus. (laughs) Chewbacca was driving the bus. (laughs) So anyways, (laughs) when you talked to me, you said that it reminded me of that. So yeah, there's a lot of Jamaicans up in the Northeast. So that's pretty common. Uh, well, good to hear you had a good trip. Uh, I used to go to Boston quite often when I was a teenager, young adult, and I always liked it. I always thought it had a little more character than, say, New York City, personally speaking. Both had their attributes, but I always slightly preferred Boston, despite the drivers there being absolutely horrible and masochistic. Oh, my God. That's a whole episode. <laughs> All right. The well. driving... Let me just, I want to chime in real quick on that because you can touch on it. But when we got, I think I sent y'all a photo. When we arrived, we didn't realize it was game seven of the Stanley Cup being held there in Boston. And every road was red. And our, God bless our driver, we did not tip him enough. But man, he drove like a bat out of hell and twice went down streets that were one way. <laughs> to, get a, wow. to get around a corner to get us to our hotel what we thought was going to take us an hour to get from the airport to our hotel probably took us 15 minutes and it was nuts i mean we were just like close your eyes think happy thoughts <laughs> <laughs> but you're right there is some mad driving in boston uh yes i actually uh, one little other story when i actually went to a school a semester up there at one of the universities and one of my friends good friends uh, decided he's going to drive up to visit me to say hello. He wanted to see Boston stuff. And he got up there, and we decided to go, I guess, go get something to eat. And after about five minutes, he suddenly pulled over to the side of the road and says, you drive. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enough of that. Let's get on with the show. Mark is probably saying, the hell did I get myself into? Uh, <laughs> he signed the waiver. What are you getting into? <laughs> All right. Is something called uh, Yavlin from some place called Old School Model Works? Uh, that's not important. 
<laughs> you need to dig up that Jamaican accent you were talking about earlier. <laughs> oh, I am terrible at it. Yeah, man, I'm terrible at the Jamaican accent. Yeah, man. <laughs> My father could do it really well. I'm terrible at it. Uh, so, this is your baby, Mark. The Javelin. Yes, sir. Give us that data dump. Tell us all about it. Well, this is uh, my latest kit. Um, the the genesis of the idea for this thing is I, I've I've made a lot of different types of kits in the old school model work stuff, and I needed something that would be my not an ugly stick per se, but something that could do a lot of different things, like an ugly stick would be. Hmm. I think in England they have uh, something they call the Watt, the W O T. I wanted something along those lines, something so that was not a master of anything, but could do a whole lot of stuff. So a prettier stick. Exactly. So uh, I started playing around some ideas. I got some airfoils. And uh, the wing design on this, I should say, this started out, uh, the, the the name that I got, that I gave this thing to start with was Frankenstein from, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you know where all that comes yeah, from. Yeah, Frank, Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. Exactly. Dr. Frankenstein, are you all right? My name is Frankenstein. This was pieced together out of a lot of different ideas. The wing is actually off of what was called a stingray. Uh, it was a pattern ship that was in RCM back in the 60s, I think. Uh, I've slightly modified it. The tips are different and that sort of stuff, but the same general idea. And it's semi-symmetrical versus symmetrical. Uh, the fuselage, I pretty much drew up myself, except I used the elongated nose, kind of like the Midwest, I think it was an Aerostar, ah! something like that. Yes. Yeah, you, you guys touched on that last time. Yes. And uh, I, I like that idea with the big hatch. Uh, and, of course, I just made the rest of it to kind of match the overall design. Um, if you had to give it a look, it's sort of like a Cessna 190 look, sort of. Except the fuselage isn't round. Uh, but uh, it's along those lines. Anyway, well, I uh, what I ended up with... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, slap a big radio on the front. There you go. <laughs> so this will fly on anything from a 25 size, literally to almost anything you can bolt on it. It's plenty strong. I've flown it with 51 size two strokes. Um, it... Just anywhere along the line. It's aerobatic. The level of vertical depends on, obviously, the amount of grunt you put up front. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Good size plane. We were wondering about the size. Now I see it's a 60-inch wingspan on it. Yes, sir. So it's 60-inch. The airframe uh, built, uh, not with anything in it, but just framed up, is around two and a half pounds. And, of course, by the time you add everything else, it's going to be four and a half to six pounds, somewhere in that range. You have an electric motor recommendation for it, roughly? Uh, the motor that I use is, bear with me on this, because electric motors are named all sorts of weird things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I My typical motors that I use are Horizon products, not for any particular reason other than I got a good price on them. I, I would have said it was an E-Flight 46, their Power 46 motor. Except yeah. when they came out with the Maul, um, that scale uh, airplane that they did, uh, what, a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. The power system that is in that uses what they refer to as an E-Flight 15. It's a 40-size motor, but for some reason it has a 15 on the front of it. 
It'll take either a 3 or a 4S pack. And that's what I use not only in this, but the racers that I think you guys talked about uh, a while back. That's my go-to system for a 40-size plane. Hmm. And uh, it works very well. Uh, 3S sounds a little on the small side for a plane this big. Just It flies extremely well. Actually, if you see the flight video, the first part of it is flown on a 3S pack. Hmm. It won't go ballistic vertical, but it'll do Cuban 8s and anything you want to do. Yeah, not a problem at all. Oh, that's good for people who want to save money on power systems. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Semi-symmetrical airflow helps on that because it gives a bit of lift. And again, it's a pretty light airframe. I noticed you actually cut out the holes in the wing ribs. I lighten this every possible way I could think of. Um, there's a plywood structure uh, that you make for the fuselage. It looks like Swiss cheese. The wing <laughs> ribs are are all cut out, as you mentioned. Uh, it's it's extremely light. There's actually very little plywood used in this. Most everything in this balsa. Wow. Now I've never built one of your kits, but I think Terry's built two, one or two. No, I've I built one. I built, built the one? Sky Ranger. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, he had a lot of good things to say about how the pieces interlock together, from what I recall. Uh, no, I hated it. You hated it? Uh, every minute was torture. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, you get all the benefits of laser cutting. You know, when it fits on the computer screen, it fits in real life. So Exactly. Usually. Yeah. The only thing you have to worry about is what's called the kerf, which was the angle of the cut yeah. with the line, that sort of thing. But yeah. once you figure that out, uh, yeah, it's... It's pretty logical how things go together. Yeah, you got to compensate for the thickness of the laser cut and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. So these are, I mean, this is a brand new deal, right? They just started shipping this week? Two days ago, actually, oh. yeah. Uh, oh. I started shipping out the pre-orders. A uh, bunch shipped out yesterday. After we're done here, it's back to the grindstone to cut some more to ship out. And, yeah, they're shipping right now. And uh, they're one forty nine ninety five. And, uh, yeah. Buy two or three. <laughs> His and hers. <laughs> so we can get into this a little bit more later if you want. But for somebody who says, I got to have one, what's the best option for, for getting a Javelin? Uh, best way, you can either give me a call or order online. You'll pay the same price either way. $5 shipping on top of that. Uh, Ohio sales, sales tax if you're in Ohio. But um, other than that, we're cutting them. Um, again, we'll get into this in a minute, but I do everything here, so... It's not like we're waiting on a shipment or anything from overseas. Uh, we do them as as ordered. All right, fantastic. Yeah, we'll get into that a little later. We'll give you all ask you all kinds of details and that stuff. Uh, well, good. congratulations on a new product, and hopefully it does well for you. Thank you. Uh, we were impressed with its flight. We saw the video last time, and we said, "Hey, that's pretty neat." Uh, so it's. Uh, Though it looks like a trainer, you're, you're saying it's not really a trainer per se. It's more uh, just a, a sort of a high wing, uh, ugly stick-ish kind of plane as far as performance. It would, agreed. It, it would be more like an intermediate plane, like your maybe your second plane after you've mm. you know really become accustomed to the trainer. Um, it can slow down significantly. I've been using flaperons, actually, uh, and I wrote a little intro or a little thing about that in the manual. Do about 35% flap runs. This thing will slow down tremendously and still be quite controllable. And uh, it works out pretty good. Like oh, that. nice. Lee, you've been quiet. Got any thoughts? I've, I've been looking at the photos going, man, that's super nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I I mentioned this before, and I just haven't been lucky, but I have not acquired a pure laser cut kit yet, and I need to do so. However, I can't go that far yet because I'm still working on several planes. I <laughs> go, and uh, but I really like that, and and you know, just for me, I, I I don't know why I was giddy about it, but I was looking at the wing, going, ah, cap strips. <laughs> and i don't think some people understand what cap strips are but i can't tell you how many times i've like cut a cap strip and it didn't fit right so i said okay i'm gonna do it again until i get it just right you know some people just have the knack to make them fit perfectly and i uh i don't have that knack but yes i mean cap strips add a nice feature is there is there a significant reason why you're using cap strips um or uh, you know for the build it, itself, or is it just because you know it adds strength to the rib? It adds a little bit of strength to the rib, and it also looks so good when you cover it. Doesn't uh, it? Yes. <laughs> and it adds uh, some area for the covering to adhere to. Yeah, as well. exactly. You're not as trying long- to stick to the laser cut edge of a rib. I was going to say, as long as your cap strips are cut properly. Well, <laughs> Otherwise. Well, <laughs> well, Lee, you just start from the inboard out because it's tapered wing. So if you cut one wrong, you can trim it and use it for the next panel. Oh, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know. I was not given the cap strip ability. I could too- do other, I could fix things like nobody's business, but the cap strips have always failed me. Somebody is <laughs> proud to use putty? I'm not, oh, no, it's just, I, you know, I see people, I'm looking at this photo and that's why I've been quiet. I'm just going, oh, that's so pretty. I wish I could build something that clean. Yes, but you can. As, just cut, well, and cut. of course you, I mean, and it's even easier now because you get so much stuff that's laser cut now and I bet it, it's wonderful the way things go. Well, wait, are, are the cap strips laser cut? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just admiring, admiring everything. And just, just uh, one quick question. Well, forget me for a second. Mark, quick question. What kind of covering do you recommend on your models? Well, I if I had the skills, I'd do silk and dope, but that's well beyond me. Uh, I use Ultra Coat on everything that you see here. Uh, I learned through Monocoat back in the day. I still love that stuff, but since it changed formulation years ago, I switched to Ultra Coat, mainly because it goes over itself without bubbling, hmm. or without a lot of bubbling, anyway. And, uh, that's what I use for the most part. Cool. It's pretty. This, this is the kind of plane you'd, I'd want to just cover in clear, you know? <laughs> it's... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's so close. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, translucent would be nice. All right, well, um, we can interrogate uh, Mark a little later on this. Uh, let's move on for a couple. I got a last couple of things, uh, add ons real quick. I wanted to follow up. Uh, as if you don't know, we always strive to be accurate if we can on this show. Sometimes we're not. But if we mess up or we make a mistake or we need clarifications, I think we it's something we like to clarify. And so I got two clarifications I wanted to add just before we break. Uh, a few episodes ago, we talked about the Timber 110, uh, the big, big daddy timber that just came out from uh, Horizon. Uh, and one of the things we talked about was the tow release that we thought it would be a great tow plane, but it didn't seem to have anything, any provisions for a tow release, if you guys remember that. Okay. Uh, actually, I've, I got an email from Gary Wright, who works there, and he says, hey, wait a minute, guys. Actually, it does have provisions for a tow release. He says it accepts the X-Cub tow release for tailplane towing. It bolts right in. The, fus- stru- the fuselage structure was designed for it from the start so that it could be used as an option. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So, they have a drop-in tow release mechanism that you can put in the plane, and it's designed to accept it. Uh, we didn't know that. didn't see the indication of that on the website, but it's really good to know. Yeah, it is. 
he did uh, editorialize a few other things. He said that it flies, uh, they've used DLE 35, DLE 55s, E-Flight Power 180, and the new Rimfire 1.7. And he said they all fly really well. He says if you want to do 3D, go with either the uh, 55cc size gasser, or I think he said the, uh, or electric. He didn't say which particular motor. Uh, he also, real quick, said that the we were talking about the Rimfire 1.7 motor, I guess for the D7. It's a new motor. All right. Uh, he said it was designed specifically for the D7. And it's basically... This is the big D7 we saw at the AMA Expo? Yeah, yeah. Really big, really nice uh, D7. It's a monster thing. And he said it was basically a Rimfire 1.6 that's been rewound for a lower KV uh, and to run on 12S. Uh, and he says it, it runs really good on 12S with a 2010 prop or 10S on a 2210 prop. And um, it gives unlimited vertical on a 17-pound model. And uh, But for regular flying, they've been able to eke out 15-minute flights on a D7 with that motor, hmm. which is really impressive. Fly that fucker for a long time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the flying fucker. So uh, thanks, Gary, for reaching out to us and to declare, make those clarifications. Uh, it's fantastic that we you can actually drop in a tour release and some good info on the uh, the new Rimfire 1.7 motor. Uh, something to definitely consider for a large electric conversion if you can do something like that. Uh, also, uh, last week or a week before, I went to a fly-in uh, just for high-wing planes speaking of the javelin and I ran to uh, another listener to the show and uh, I started talking to him. He says, Hey, uh, no, uh, not to, uh, no offense, but you guys made a mistake when you were talking about the P 39. Like, no, that's not like us. <laughs> uh, we were, I was pretty accurate with everything I said. Must have been one of you guys. Yeah, I fact checked my stuff, man. It was, it was mainly me. And but and t- <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's can you? Yeah, okay, go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna, you're, you're I'm doing gonna it go again. You're making a mistake. <laughs> but I'm gonna pull Terry in too for not correcting me because he didn't correct me. So therefore, he was wrong too by osmosis. Woohoo! I'm free. <laughs> so we were talking about the supercharger, how the P39 lacked a supercharger, which was the reason why it had terrible performance up in any altitude. And he says, no, no, no. Actually, it did have a supercharger. It just didn't have the advanced. Um, two-stage or turbo supercharger that all the other engines had he said all the allisons had superchargers uh and so i said really so i looked it up and indeed he was right it did have a supercharger the problem was it was just a crappy single stage uh low rent supercharger on it <laughs> and so <laughs> anything about twelve thousand feet it kind of petered out uh, and all the hobby king supercharger yeah the hobby king supercharger <laughs> 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 Did I say that out loud? <laughs> and, and it's spelled S O O P E R. Yeah, right? it's a, it's a super a supper supper charger. Uh, so all all the like the P thirty eights had a much better two stage turbo superchargers, which would give you better performance at altitude. So as a correction, we went off script and started talking about the real P thirty nines. Indeed, they did have superchargers. They were just not very good at anything above twelve thousand feet. So. That was, I just want to make that clarification, just to let you know, so other people aren't yelling at us. And then, <laughs> all two, two of them. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. That's good. And we should also note that we're always open to whatever corrections. So yeah. feel free to send us an email that starts out with, Dear Ignorant 
Yes. Fitz. Dear Fitz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blame me. Story of my life. All right. Speaking of stories, let's uh, have our own little story and take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Right, well, we've already heard from our guest today, Mark Lancherman, and so now we're going to put him in the hot seat and find out a little bit more about Mark's background and his business, Old School Model Works. So why don't you start off, Mark, by telling us a little bit how you got into model airplanes? Well, um, I was kind of born into this hobby. Uh, a lot of people might be able to say that, but I truly was. Born that way, huh? Uh, Born my if if you guys can remember way back when uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was a company called World Engines. Oh yeah, um, oh, sure. My dad came to work there out of Purdue and took over their electronic section, Ooh. basically designing all the radio control equipment oh. that was there. Uh, all the expert series, some of the control air stuff before that, and uh, you know servos and chargers and all that jazz. Uh, he eventually became vice president of the company, and he actually met my mom there. My mom came to work there just as a contract laborer to solder uh, boards, you know, servo boards and uh, switches and whatever they were doing back then. Uh, they met a couple years later, married and all that sort of stuff. Then I came along. So I was actually born into this hobby. Wow. And I, I came to be kind of the shop brat at World Engines. And learned how to fly, obviously because of my dad's background. And uh, kind of did some test stuff from them as I got older. And when I was in high school, I actually came to work there because of my photography background. I ran their graphic arts division uh, right up until they closed in the late 80s. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I know a little bit about the hobby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a bit. So wow. after that... Um, I, I did some work in some print shops for a while, but then I came to work for Dave Brown, Dave Brown Products. Yeah. I ran his shop for six or seven years, something around that time. Uh, did a lot of work with him on the simulator that he had. Uh, we had the first flight simulator. Yeah, I remember those. Then. I was talking to somebody about those. Oh, I was on a when I guessed it on another podcast. We were. I remember seeing the early because they were on like the Commodore sixty four and Apple. Exactly. Yes, yep. I remember playing with one at. Uh, the Ram show when I was a kid. Uh, and that was, it was, you know, unique at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A gentleman by the name of John Calland, uh, an English gentleman, somehow Dave and he hooked up and uh, started marketing it. And uh, at the time it was, you know, pretty, pretty significant. It flew very realistically. The graphics back in the day, you know, it's, it's kind of stick figures compared to what we're doing yeah, now. Yeah, it was but, pretty uh, primitive. But at the time, man, we were pumping them out. It was very popular. Now, uh, question, why did you choose those two platforms and not uh, the IBMs at the time as well? Well, I can't say why Dave chose that other than I think that's what John, the, the guy who wrote the actual simulator, I think his first one 
was on a Commodore, I think. Well, the Commodore makes sense because it, it, there's so many of them. It was that was mm-hmm. a no-brainer. Uh, I just thought uh, the Apple came in after that, you know, from a timing standpoint, yeah. and I'm guessing um, it was probably the next platform to do it on just because of the graphics. Mm. Uh, you know, it was a more graphical interface, and of course, from there they jumped in the IBM, and it, you know, pardon the pun, it really took off. Mm. Uh, it 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 was it was a neat thing to do to learn that sort of thing. Uh, uh, that was that was an interesting. I, I loved working for Dave. That was I learned a lot. So was that program distributed on five and a quarter inch floppies? It was at one point. Yes, wow. <laughs> not eight inch. <laughs> eight eight inch floppies. Five, <laughs> five and a quarter inch floppies. Uh, eventually went to three and a half inch, and then of course toward the end it was on a CD ROM. All of which we don't use at all yeah. for anything right. anymore. <laughs> the first one was data tape, actually. <laughs> they don't they make have... fun because when I was working at NASA, most of our data was stored on magnetic reels. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And then after that, uh, toward the end of working for Dave, I became aware of. I, I also did the ads for Dave, uh, still doing the graphics sort of stuff. I became aware of the position that was opening with the AMA to be their ad rep. And I. Basically, I knew all the people I met with them and just, and um, joined the AMA as a staff member, taking over all their advertising for their print and their web stuff. And I helped a lot in editorial in the beginning. And I did that for 20 years or so. And until uh, this past year, uh, we kind of had a splitting of the ways. And uh, old school was underway anyway, but uh, I decided to take it on as a full-time job. And here we are today. You know, I want to quickly touch on that. You were, when you we, we first started talking to you and you mentioned you were working with ads with AMAs. My little, uh, <laughs> my comment on that was I was so excited when I got an old Tower Hobbies manu- uh, catalog from Tower Hobbies a couple years ago. And just, you know, just going through all the past planes as a kid. But you must have a plethora of incredible knowledge of the, the companies that were out and about. For all those years, you must have some really cool stories on some of these companies that were building odd items, you know, for sale. You know, it, t- it was interesting the the amount of companies that would that I would either contact or they would call me. Most of which, I'll be totally honest, starting out just like I am right now. I work out of my house. These guys would be working out of the garage or wherever they do. They would build a couple little things for themselves. They take it to the field. You know, whether it was an airplane or a new hobby box or whatever their little invention was, they take it to the field. A couple of guys at the field would say, hey, look at that. That's pretty cool. And he would sell them a couple. And before they know it, you know, hey, maybe I can make a business of this. And so they would call me. And I would, my, my opening pitch to them said, that's fantastic. I'll gladly take your money. You know, uh, we, that's what we do here. I'll help you make the ads and all that. But I need you to think of something. We, at the time, we were reaching 170,000 people, roughly, with the magazine. I said, what if 1% of those people would actually contact you? What would you do? And it would get real quiet on the other end of the line. Now, what if 1% of that 1% actually ordered something from you? Could you make that many? And then it gets really quiet on the other end of the line <laughs> when it... Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, it, yeah, I, I got to meet a lot of very nice people, uh, you know, companies that work, companies that didn't. Uh, we all know some of the names that got 
absorbed by other people and out of business. And it's it's a very cool hobby to be in. I'm well, I know this the history. This might put you on the spot, but are there any like can you? Grab a couple of companies that you you've met or interviewed or had this very interesting products to sell with the AMA catalog with Model Aviation. Uh, I may have to think on that for a minute. Um, the most interesting product. Let, let me come back to that. Um, I may have to think on that for a few minutes. Yeah, I was just I I, I just think I'm, I'm like it's fun when I open up a catalog and I can see these planes and go oh I had one of those or oh I remember that one and wanting it. But I was thinking the catalogs like some of the things that come to my mind. And I hope Fitz and, and and Terry chime in. But to think about that, you had to be responsible for advertising these, and this is what I saw in, in the magazine because obviously I'm looking at the pictures for model airplanes, but I remember going through like the back end of the catalog, going what are these odd gems that people have for sale and you'd have you know like have onboard glow starters which were new to me but you'd have people doing that in fact one thing i bought because of an ad i saw in the catalog was my little servo tester it's a little uh, circuit board servo tester that i got i don't remember the name on it right off the top of my head because now i'm blank but i remember seeing it in the catalog over and over again so finally that was the first time i bought a little electronic servo tester there was a company that sold just you know it says why buy a whole bunch of screws when you need just one <laughs> you know so, that was microfasteners there you go i mean so yeah. it's like I, I always remembered that but i I'm, i bet you have just if you've come across a whole variety of hobby vendors which is really neat because like you said you've you were born in this hobby you have just your head must be full of really cool stuff <laughs> you no know, no i was just thinking one vendor i thought always had kind of neat stuff was ace yes yeah, yeah they were innovative in a lot of ways uh, i had a micro side yeah. yeah all the radios um they maybe not the most popular but they were very steady plus they had all their kit lines Later on, they brought in some engines. And they did a lot of different things. And chargers. They had some very good people working for them. You mentioned the servo tester. Um, one thing I didn't touch on, uh, on the editorial side of the magazine, uh, for Model Aviation, for AMA in general, we never covered trade shows. Um, for my personal part of it, dealing with advertisers, it was always a hard thing to do because we could never talk about all the new stuff. I needed a way to do that, and I talked the people at AMA into um, making this editorial section called Worth a Closer Look, which is still in the magazine today. Uh, I was one of the guys instrumental that with Bob Hunt, who was the editor at the time. Uh, we both tag-teamed on this thing, and I would help do some of the reviews and the photography and that sort of stuff. Servo Tester came in. Uh, for the life of me, I can't remember the name, but I still have it in the basement. I use it all the time. But the servo tester was a little device, a 9-volt battery. You plug in a couple, you know, whatever your servo is, and you can uh, move the dial back and forth. The little LED tells you the position. Used it for years. We used it on every every plane that would come in. Of course, my personal stuff. It was used years and years and years. The pot, the, the adjustment in the middle, like the volume control, actually went out in it. And we contacted the company and said, hey, uh, we got a problem. You know, can we get another one or, you know, do you fix them or whatever? They were stunned because no one had ever used one enough to wear it out, and we we had. Uh, I thought that was cool. Uh, but and I just the one the name the York Electronics was the name of the company that made my servo tester. I okay. I'm a little shout out. I don't know if they're still in business. Their, their website's up, but that's the one I have, and I I love it. So just again going back to the whole point that somehow your ad that you placed got to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, Full circle. The one thing. Uh, <laughs> The one thing that stands out just on a personal note that was strange that really caught us off guard, 
Um, back when Hobby Lobby was king of the electrics, back in Ooh. the you know, Hobby Lobby. 90s, yeah. pretty much. Uh, they brought in everything with axi motors and all that. Do you remember the flat foam? Uh, well, the, they didn't end up being, but they're made out of flat foam, EPP or whatever they were back then, the boats, the flying boats that they made. Oh, right. They would be boats, uh, like an airboat, and then they suddenly would take off and fly around. That was one of the very strange things that we said, who in the world is going to buy one of these things? And before you know it, they were the hot trend for, what, uh, a couple years. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I actually know one of the co designers of that. Me too. Yeah. 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 Fitz and I had both met him at best. Yeah. Remember he and Ernest? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it wasn't uh, something that we ever thought would, you know, eh, that that's neat, but boy, were we wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing took off like hotcakes. You couldn't get them for a while. They were so popular. Yeah, Man, Mark, you them. need to write a book of all the things that you've come across. <laughs> this is neat. Well, What's maybe there? if this uh, this kit business doesn't work out, I'll, 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 I'll write a book. <laughs> so was there ever a product where you're like, no, we can't advertise that? Um. Not really a product um, because uh, we had a a, uh, a pretty lengthy uh, deal that you had to look through in the media kit of what we can and can't do. The biggest things weren't products; it was the visual part. Um, <laughs> right, curse words, point. curse words were a problem. Believe it or not, a lot of people would come in with words that I'm not going to mention right now. But uh, you know, this and that, or this is the best blanking thing since you know whatever, <laughs> and. <laughs> The scantily clad women, which obviously I don't have a problem with, but we actually had ads that were submitted to us with women in lingerie holding airplanes. Very nice to see. No problem at all. But from an from a organizational standpoint, you know, AMA's, you know, thousand foot view, you, you can't really put that stuff yeah. out. Um, that was probably our biggest thing. Um, yeah. Call RCM. It, we can't do it. <laughs> exactly. RCM had them on the cover and, and all that. And that was fantastic. <laughs> RCM is uh, the other. <laughs> the gentleman's <laughs> RCM. <laughs> One of the things I always uh, wanted to do to get the editors to do was on a, in an April issue, have an April Fool's issue and have a big thing right on the cover. Nude centerfold. Great big thing. You know, great big things. Now, we're perfect bound, so technically we didn't have a centerfold. But you get to wherever the center would be. And instead of an, uh, an, uh, a woman there, you know, basically you'd have a plane in the bones. Right. It would be our, our nude centerfold thing. That, that never worked out. That's funny. And that just gave us a title for the show. <laughs> All right, so I think you got to the point of where old school started. And so how long ago was that? Old school has been around um, probably two and a half years now. Okay, um, so pretty new. I was going to do it as a sideline doing the ad business and this at the same time. Um, thankfully, I had enough things in line that when we departed ways at the end of last year, uh, I could just jump into this. Uh, I didn't have a laser and stuff at the time, but I was, I knew enough guys in the industry. Uh, actually, there's two that are uh, very helpful to me. Mark Freeland at uh, Retro, uh, Retro RC. RC. Uh, he helped me a tremendous amount in mm-hmm. getting laser files, doing some of the early cutting for me, uh, pretty much teaching me 
kind of the do's and don'ts. I mean, trust me, he didn't teach me all the don'ts. I made a lot of those. <laughs> so, so, so in this era of of arfs and foamies, what would possess you to start up a business dealing with old school kits? Okay, let me. I will answer that in just a second. The other guy I wanted to give a thank you out yeah. is Brian Malin at BMJR. He also helped me quite a bit. Mm. The oh, three right. of us kind of have a. Uh, an agreement we don't step on each other's toes we make kits that the other ones don't have and uh he's been a great help as well oh, unlike us i step on the other two all the time <laughs> <laughs> that was <It's> a sport <laughs> but what led me to do this um I, I briefly mentioned this in the piece about the f-18 i come from a scale background i did scale competition for oh good lord 15 years probably um, I've won my fair share. I've lost a lot. I had a great time. I did a lot of different things. But in scale, as you guys know, you build whatever the airplane is, an F-18, a Piper Cub, a B-17, a specific airframe. Every bolt, rivet, line, panel, as much as possible, has to be perfect. <laughs> Smudge. It has, <laughs> exactly. Uh, toward Terry's thing about the uh, the panel lines, you know, you can't have great big uh, cavernous uh, lines. They have to be just right. Yeah. You fudge them a little so they can be seen from a distance, but you get the idea. Well, I did that for 15 or so years, and I was kind of getting tired of it. It was time to try something else. And I wanted to just go out and buy just a plain old kit that I could make green with purple spots and whatever I wanted to do. And I started looking for stuff, and there really wasn't much out there. I mean, SIG has good kits, nothing wrong with those. But they've been around for a while. Uh, Boss USA makes great stuff. Boss USA makes great stuff, but most of those are scale. I mean, they have a few things which aren't. There's a couple other guys out there, but there's just there wasn't much left for a guy if he wanted to go build an airplane. I mean, so like just I like said, a sport design. Yeah, yeah, just like some of the stuff I've been making. Yeah. Just something to goof around with. Mm. And they said, hmm, maybe I should be stupid enough to try this. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's the genesis of the whole thing. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, I started cool. learning a little bit about things, uh, trying to figure out what to do, what not to do. And, well, yeah. Uh, I mentioned okay. the thing not to do uh, when I first got my laser cutter. Um, it doesn't come with a... A listing of, you know, like balsa, you should have this setting or plywood is this or whatever. Yeah. They give you a laser cutter and say, here's how you adjust the, the settings. Go for it. I don't know what's going on. So I throw a piece of wood in there, get it all focused on, hit it full speed, full, full on laser and set the thing on fire <laughs> right off the back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So uh, if you're not learning, you're not learning. (laughs) But uh, we've learned quite a lot since then. But uh, yeah, that was my first adventure or uh, uh, adventure into uh, laser cutting, setting setting something on fire. (laughs) Yeah, I I know what you mean. I I play with laser cutters too, and it's sort of a trial and error thing. Uh, But I guess to branch off of that, what are some of some of the biggest challenges you've had in setting up this business and and bringing kits out to to market? Um. Finding the subject matter, um, it's 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 harder than you think. Um, we all know of what's out there. Uh, what what I try to do with old school is bringing back some designs which are either the design of the day, like my Robin Hood and some of those, or they resemble something uh, like my Sky Ranger and those sorts of things. 
finding the subject matter, you have to find companies, frankly, that aren't around any longer. So you don't have to have copyright issues or you have to get the rights to do it. And plus they have to be planes, which you think might are going to sell. I mean, you just can't make everything, you know, that might appeal to you because it might not have a great audience. Uh, we all have airplanes that are, you know, our favorites that are, you know, they, that would be cool, you know, someday sort of thing. But what's cool to you necessarily isn't cool to, you know, somebody else. Mm. So finding those sorts of things is probably the biggest, the subject matter. Of course, learning everything. I'm a one-man shop. Well, I say one man. My wife helps me a tremendous amount. She helps with the aerial flight photography uh, and some of the video work. She helps pay the bills and that sort of stuff. But the day-to-day production, I do all myself. I design it all. I do all the box labels. I, you know, I order everything. I do the websites, the studio photography, write the manuals. On and on and on. You get the idea. Budgeting my time is uh, is rough. Um, and learning when to shut it off at night. Hmm. You know, so, you you know, I want like the javelin, for instance. I wanted to get it done and get it done. But I have to find myself. Here I am at 8 o'clock at night. I've been working since 7 in the morning. I said, I've got to stop. You know, I've got to have a life. You know, it'll wait till tomorrow. We'll start up again. Yeah. Those sorts of things for me have been... A learning experience. Yeah, that's the challenge that I had when I transitioned into freelance writing, that there's no bell that goes off at five o'clock and says it's time to go home. And there's always a stack of things that need to be done. So that management of your life and your job really becomes critical. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, I'm learning that. I don't have it mastered, probably never will, but uh, I'm getting better. Yeah. <laughs> So I think something that you've alluded to in our offline conversations, this is kind of a different world, at least from, say, when you started with the AMA in terms of how you reach out to the modeling community. So how has social media and just kind of the the digital generation affected what you're doing? To say it's different is an understatement. (laughs) Um, Back when... Uh, bear with me on this a little bit. Uh, this isn't meant to be negative, but it was a little thing I had. Uh, in in my world, advertising for the AMA, my goal in life was to get as much ads in that magazine as possible. Yeah, sure. Stealing them, you know, whatever I could do to get them. So I would, you know, hopefully convince someone to come over from RCM or Model Airplane News or Flying Models or whatever it was. That was my little niche. AMA as a whole obviously doesn't think that way. But my little niche, you know, that was my job, what I was tasked to do. And I, for lack of a better way, I did a pretty good job at it. And I look at all the magazines that have gone by the wayside that, frankly, I had very little to do with. But, you know, RCM is gone. Flying Models is gone. RC Report. Model Builder. You know, we could go on and on and on. Uh, We're left with two now. We have Model uh, Aviation, AMA's book, and Model Airplane News. Those are pretty much the only two ways of getting print out to people. Everything else now is social media, as you as you uh, alluded to, emails and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. And I'll be honest, I've had to learn a lot of that. Um, Instagram, I knew, you know, you take a shot, you write a little caption, send it out. That's easy. Facebook has been a challenge. I don't think the same way as Facebook. I'm not really a Facebook fan, but I've had to learn it. And 
probably like many guys my age, my teenage son taught me how to use Facebook. <laughs> so uh, I'm learning, um, you know, the movies and the other the videos and uh, the, the pictures. I've, I've done that my whole life. But learning how to make them in concise ways to get to people and how to reach the people, it's it's different. Um, you have to you have to work at it. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's not just as simple as making a, you know, a half page ad and sending it to the magazine once a month and all the orders come in. It doesn't work that way anymore. Right. And what I found is it's not just submitting that post or making that Facebook ad. It's once you place it, then you've got to monitor it and you've got to be ready to answer questions. And it's kind of a, an ongoing thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Facebook has, apparently has a thing where they reward you for answering questions quickly. Uh, I don't know, there's some little star or check mark or something you get on your Facebook page. Uh, I haven't quite got there yet, but I try to answer everything within a couple hours, you know, at least if I'm awake, uh, if it's not overnight. But, uh, yeah, it, try to, you have to be vigilant. You have to answer emails. Uh, you have to bite your tongue sometimes because sometimes you want to say, well, it's written right there. Read the manual, you know. Uh, but, Overall, it's been a pretty pleasant experience. I've met a lot of good people. There's still a lot of builders out there. I don't think I've reached near enough of them yet. Uh, there's still a lot more that's untapped, and that's a fantastic thing. Whether they're building my stuff, SIG stuffs, whoever, I'm glad they're out there building and enjoying the hobby. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's maybe a little bit of resurgence. There's, uh, uh, what is it, uh... Boss USA has started a video series on building models. I think I saw another one somewhere else. Uh, it's it's there does seem to be interest. There is an actual Facebook group, group dedicated to building balsa wood models that seems to be pretty active. Uh, Thirty thousand plus members. Yeah, right? yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I made a video on building. I built a QT some a couple of, a year or two ago, and uh, it's been it's got a lot of good uh, feedback on. Uh, so I wonder if you're if you're seeing some of that, or uh, give us an indication of what some of your popular designs are that you've been selling. Uh, yeah, toward that, uh, you're you're right on both those counts. Um, I think there is a resurgence. Um, I don't think it's ever going to be what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, same like glow engines, I think, are also making a resurgence. Yeah. Um, but I, I liken it more to how records are coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're they're great. It's it's cool to do them again. Um, you're you're reliving maybe some of your past or learning new techniques or whatever. But it may not be all that you do. It's something that you do. It's neat to do once mm. in a while. And hey, I'll take it. You know, uh, yeah. th- that works for me. Um, you mentioned, uh, I think Dubro is also doing a thing. Um, I think I saw on their podcast or, or not by, um, Instagram or something. They're doing some one ones on how to use some of their products and hinging and that sort of thing. Oh yeah. I saw that too. I'm part of that uh, effort with Dubro to do those videos and that's what they're aiming for to really cover all the basics for this new crop of people who are interested in these aspects of RC and don't really know where to start because you don't have that community foundation anymore where mm. everybody knows how to do everything. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you're, you're getting people that are either coming back to do this. They may not remember some of the stuff or maybe it wasn't around. So you, you have to cost, not so much my company cause I'm relatively new, but like Dubro or 
you know, some of these guys have been around, like Sonictronics or whatever. They've had products that have been on the market for decades, and they're fantastic products, never needed to be adjusted, but people don't know about them. So you have to pretty much hammer them over the head again. Hey, we still have this. Here, here's how you use this. You know, even though we've done it forever, you've probably haven't put this clevis on or, you know, know how to put on a control horn the right way. Yeah, yeah. And, In fact, that reminded me, somebody uh, somewhere, I think it was in Facebook world, had posted a picture of one of the old Dubro prop balancers. And he had no idea how to use it. He says, or what it was. Or what it was. Yeah, what's this thing? Is uh, you know, It took me two microseconds. It's yeah. a prop balancer. But because he had never seen it used or had no idea what it was, it was uh, a mystery to mm-hmm. him. Yeah. There, there's a lot of that. Like people will buy something in a swap shop or uh, maybe get something from an estate sale or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. They, they have to learn all over again. That's where a thing like what Dubro's doing or some of these online video stuff, it, it helps. Kind of keep things going. Yeah, I'm going to toot my own horn here and say I was having troubles soldering a Dubro Quick Link. I've always had issues with it. I was never very good at it, and finally I, I came across an article that did it. But I made a video on it. I'm sure Terry, you've seen it, but I've got oh, yeah. nine thousand plus views on it, and a lot of people have said, you know, thank you for posting it because they didn't know how to do it either. But uh, yeah, it took me a while. But once I figured it out, it's like, oh, that's how it is. But so sharing is caring, guys. <laughs> if, if you're like, if you're an old, you know, an old hobbyist, and you've got a, you know, a technique that you use, and, and even if it's something just tiny or trivial, put it on on YouTube. Someone out there might go, how does that work? What is this? What is this Dubro prop balancer you're talking about? You know, and and put it out there. So I'm I'm glad you're video. In fact, I uh, the other shout out to you, Mark, was I had mentioned to Terry before you got on. It's like, who is that company that's posting? videos of their laser cutting and i wasn't sure if it was you or another person and terry goes no i'm pretty sure that was mark and i had to go back on facebook and say yeah that was you and and we are enthralled watching that video as as simple as it is i sat there and watched that whole darn thing you know as it cut all those pieces and um it's funny you mentioned that i've cut 10 gazillion pieces of wood by now i will still stand every once in a while and just watch it go uh, yeah, you know, well, that's not, because you have a fire extinguisher in your right hand. <laughs> 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 well, it's it's not because it's not a thing. Hey, look what I've done. It's nothing like that. It's it's the miracle that in part of my house is this machine with fire and you know all this manly fire, stuff. Fire and, and full working, times. All this delicate. How how is this possible? You know, it's like it's I made really this. Cool. <laughs> yeah. hey, it's a 21st I century. I am the giver of life. <laughs> giver, <laughs> life. giver of models. <laughs> <laughs> well, and thank you and thank you for posting that. I hope we'll uh, we'll share some links to that or uh, find other ways. I know you're you're hesitant about Facebook. We definitely have a you know we we do a lot on Facebook because that's just a good way to to meet people. We've also got a a link on RC groups, but I don't think we've had much feedback there. So kind of like you, we're trying to figure out what's the best way to reach the modelers. And and I think Fitz, maybe we met somebody at one of the events we attended, but they they were like, what do you mean you're on Facebook? Why? I don't know. I don't use Facebook. Can you know? And I was like, well, how do we get to other people? So I'm thinking we got to do some more work on that because your little video on the laser cutting was just, that was neat. I, I really enjoyed watching that. I try to do something at least... Every couple of days, if not every day, sometimes I run out of ideas. So yeah, the, the camera gets stuck in the laser cutter, and, you know, <laughs> watch that or, you know, whatever it may be. But one thing that's helped me is uh, I mentioned Instagram before, I guessing Instagram and Facebook or 
maybe Instagram's owned by Facebook now or whatever. But I have a way, at least on my phone, there's a little checkbox. You know, when you get to post, you can also post it to your Facebook page. Yeah. So that helps me keep Facebook alive. And it's not that I'm against Facebook. I mean, I don't use it for personal stuff, and I don't really do that sort of thing. But it has been monumentally helpful in the business. Uh, for instance, the Javelin. I mean, nobody outside of you guys who found it, I guess Terry found it the, the second after I posted it. Um, <laughs> what does that know, say from, about me? <laughs> I need to get away you're from diligent. Computer. Yeah. But, no, uh, I, I follow you on Instagram, so yeah. and that, that may have been where I saw your video too. But Those were the only people that knew about it, though. Uh, you know, just that little group that follow me, and instantly I was starting to get a few orders. And that tells you something about the power of social media. It it's well, a great tool. Um, uh, speaking of tools, uh, could you tell us what you use to draw up your your uh, patterns for the laser cutter? I'm just curious, what kind of CAD software you use. My entire life uh, has been in the graphics world, as I mentioned before. I use uh, Adobe products all the time. You know what Photoshop is, yeah. Illustrator is their vector program. Mm. I use, I I went out and found, luckily, a laser that lets me use Illustrator files. I didn't have to go out and learn AutoCAD or TurboCAD or some, you know, very off-the-wall program. The the spectrum, or the the laser that I use is a full-spectrum laser. They're out of Vegas. Uh, USA-made stuff. Uh, It's a decent laser. And it turns out their interface, you would actually print a file out of Illustrator through their print driver, and it goes into their software, which then sends it on to yeah. the laser. Yeah, nice and clean. And that I've been, that's probably been the biggest boon to this. I didn't have to learn anything else other than, you know, how to make things fit. I didn't have to learn another piece of software to make this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could just use Illustrator, which I've used my entire life, and uh, it works great. For me, it may not work for other folks, but uh, I eat and breathe this stuff. Mm. So what's the life cycle from the the minute you think, hmm, this might be neat to make until you've got boxes on the shelf? Um, the Javelin would be a great uh, point of this. I think the Javelin took two weeks. What? I think. No way. Yeah. I think the Javelin from start to finish was about two weeks. Well, you got to uh, fly it. I mean, is this from... Well, you know the you know those those times where I say I need to turn off the lights and you know go to sleep and have a life and all that. Well, this was not. Um, <laughs> I told you I was also still learning, and uh, <laughs> I um, it took a honestly I think it was about that. Now this this isn't meant to come across as a, a pat on the back. The, the javelin builds quickly. That was an easy thing to make. Going back a notch to the Robin 80, the big one that we introduced at uh, Toledo, that one took a while. That one was a redesign of an old kit, but also bringing it to look more like a Robin Hood, or, or sorry, a Curtis Robin would be. That's That that one took that was probably close weeks. to a month. <laughs> yeah. no, that was probably a month. Two and a half weeks. Because um, that one took redesigning and changing and fixing screw-ups and that sort of stuff. Thankfully, on the Javelin, I didn't have too many screw-ups to go back and fix. Right. But um, it takes um, – the the other factor of that you have to keep in mind is this is my full-time job. Sure. So, yes, I am making kits. But 
if I'm not making kits, what else do I have to do? Well, I should be designing some. So I have more time to uh, you know, devote to that sort of yeah, stuff. That's a right good now. point. So yeah. It, it does help. The Robin Hood, the original one that I made, the, the first kit I actually designed years ago, um, the redesign of the original World Engines Robin Hood, was that was probably three or four months, but of course I was doing the ad gig and traveling and a lot of other stuff on the side. So, mm-hmm. uh, so just my outsider's perspective, it seems like that sort of agility gives you an advantage. If if any of this stuff is ever time sensitive, you're able to just crank out an idea pretty quickly and get it on the market. So far, yes, uh, I guess I'm lucky in that way. Um, since I do everything here, um, I've gotten a handle on, you know, how to order, you know, timing wise to get parts in from different folks and how to reutilize what I have. So I don't have to have 40 different sizes of wood on the shelf for, you know, 30 different sizes of bolts or parts or whatever. Mm. I can use those same parts over and over. For instance, the javelin, the gear on this one is different from what you'll see in a normal gear. Normal gear, if you look at a picture of this, would be the duraluminum gear. It's one piece. It's bent in, what, uh, three or four places as it goes across. I went to find sources of this, and that sort of gear is extremely expensive to get anymore. It's, unless you're making it yourself, a finished gear without the axles, just bent, you're looking probably 12 to 15 bucks a gear. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a massive, you know, cost of the kit. Sure. Well, I had these aluminum gear. These are the same ones which are in the racers. Uh, they're, they're two halves, basically, which would bolt on to a plywood frame. I figured out how to make a motor box or uh, a landing gear box in the middle of this that was as strong as the aluminum. And so I could use reuse the same gear in this. And, you know, a little bit of time on my part, but, you know, helps keep the cost down and that sort of thing. So learning that sort of stuff. Uh, hmm. Learn as you go. Have you ever had a plane that you uh, you drew up, cut, put together, and it just didn't fly like you really would like it to have, and you kind of had to either scrap it or really go back to the drawing board, so to speak? You mean it flew better as a boat than an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> the very first uh, Waddell Williams I made, the the trophy racer, um, I put it all together, and you know, it had plenty of power, everything seemed right. Went went out and flew it. And I thought I was going to kill somebody with it. It was tail heavy as could be. I didn't know at the time what the problem was because it was so tail heavy. I took off. It took off pretty good. It would just jump straight up in the air. So I'd put a little down in it and it'd go straight back down to the ground. It was this roller coaster ride. I just had a hard time nulling out everything. So I managed to get it pointed skyward, got it way up in the air, and I cut the throttle back. And then it behaved pretty good as a glider. <laughs> and I figured out over time, yeah, I had the balance way off on this thing. And once I got the balance right, it was fine. That's actually on the on the uh, racers. That's why there's a pocket that's built in on each of those up front. So you can dump a lot of lead shot or BBs in there if you need oh, to. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, that one was... Uh, that one I had to do a lot of rework on. And that also required redoing the entire back of the plane to lighten it up significantly. Um, that's how I got to learn how to put uh, holes in everything. 
So yeah, that, that one was here's a hole for you. Here's a hole for you. There's a hole there. Is your workshop just littered with balsa discs? How do you recycle all those holes? My mother um, does scrapbooking. She she does a lot of different things for her church and makes crafts for kids and things. Now in a production kit, all those circles are still in the sheet. I don't punch mm-hmm. them all out. But the first ones I do. I don't worry about putting all the tabs in. And I have hundreds of these, you know, different size circles everywhere. And I went to throw them away once and she mentioned, hey, what are you doing with those? I use them. And so, yeah, I bring her bags of this stuff uh, every couple months so she can use them for whatever she does with them. So. <laughs> the, the first the first delivery was free and now she has to pay them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fascinating. All right, so I have one more question that kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little while ago with the current state of the kit building. What do you see as your main demographic now? I'll be honest, that's a tough one. Um, I think my main demographic are guys that are probably 50 and up in terms of age. Probably guys that have been around the hobby for a little while. I don't have many folks asking for trainers or, you know, first airplanes. So that tells me, you know, guys like yourselves, uh, you know, you've been around, you you know how to fly. You're either wanting to try something new. You've had ARFs or foam or, you know, whatever it may be for a while and you want to try making something yourself. Or you're wanting to go back to making something yourself because you made Gillow's kits as a kid or, you know, whatever it might have been. Or the, you know, the 25-pound sterling kit or whatever it would have been. Um, <laughs> wow, did you hear that, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Them is fighting words. <laughs> that's, that's what I think my my main core group is. Uh, I may be off on that a little bit, but I think okay. that's a pretty safe guess. So I have a theory and has no evidence whatsoever, but I have a hunch that flight test is somewhat responsible for the re-interest in kit building. And I wonder if there's some crossover from the foam board style into the balsa. And I know of at least one example of it among my friends who got started because of flight test and then morphed into being interested in balsa. So I'm just not sure if that's a significant percentage of the people who are building balsa kits now. I think it might be an untapped um, group. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were at Flight Fest last year, Correct. and you ran into um, one of my dealers there, uh, Andrew's, right. Andrew yep. Pease from uh, Hobbyland up in Columbus. Yeah, they built a I, kit over the weekend. Yeah, they built a Robin Hood over the weekend and introduced a lot of kids. Well, I'm assuming kids. I, I, I wasn't there. I'm not sure. Introduced the audience anyway into what all this wood stuff was about. Um, they've, my my guess is the majority of people at FlyFest have only built with foam. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's their medium. Mm-hmm. And they probably need to be introduced to this sort of thing, which is something I hope to start doing. Uh, getting out to some of these shows and showing people, you know, uh, maybe have a, a kit on the table and, you know, kind of like what Hobbyland did, building a wing or a fuselage or whatever and, uh, getting hmm. some hands on, almost like a, a mini Oshkosh, if you will. You know, yeah. here's how to do it. 
Yeah, I think there's a big element of just demystifying what's in there. Mm -hmm. uh, For so many people, they just assume that it's a very complex and difficult thing. And then if you can show them it's tab A, slot B, drop a glue, like, oh, I can do that. And for the most part, it's the same techniques, uh, other than maybe sanding, it's the same techniques that they use to build their, their, what I'm assuming what they're making with their foam airplanes. You know, you, you're gluing pieces, you're using a different glue. You're not using hot glue or foam safe CA. You know, you're using a different CA or epoxy now. But right. the techniques are the same. It's just a different material. Well, and even those foam board airplanes are becoming quite sophisticated, where I'm convinced some of those newer foam board designs are at least as challenging as any balsa kit or mm-hmm. I, challenging might not be the right word, but as involved. Yeah. So. And they probably are getting close to flying uh, as, as there, there's flying and then there's more like precision flying, you know, great, good flying airplanes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some of those that they're coming out with now that are actually very good airplanes, quite airworthy. Yeah. Uh, they're doing good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of build, I'm not sure if this is totally related, but the idea that, you know, we need to get people to see the builds. I was, I don't know if I'd mentioned this to you guys earlier, but the, the, um, uh, two, three, four, the, the 24 size, the 25 size, what is it? Sorry, the Robin Hood 25. That would be a great three view for us. And I think if we had some build videos of that, I think we would have a ball building that and trying to get other people to see that little I say marketing, but I mean, really, to, to show how, how much fun it is. I've, I've always enjoyed building with balsa, but I, as you said, it's, it, you're seeing all these flight test kits being built and, and videos, but I, I want to see some more kids and stuff build this stuff. I think I'll get Austin involved, my son. Well, I know a guy that can hook you up. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you ever saw, I don't know how much you have seen of our show or if you got to watch the, vi- the video on our three view for the um, Great Plains Electric Hub. But what I always thought was fun is how we each approached it differently, you know. Uh, started with the same box of lumber, but ended up with three very different airplanes. And, and can I just say a bad box of lumber? <laughs> that wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that No, bad. I did not. <laughs> that is terrible, <laughs> terrible, par- terrible wood. But I think uh, Mark's stuff is probably way better. But anyway, the you know, we all approached it differently, and we all had something unique. And, you know, that's a, that's a great little training airplane. Of course, that or the Wayfarer. I mean, I'm a, I'm a glider fan, so that's a neat little plane, too. It, actually, if I was going to point you in a way, um, nothing wrong with the Robin. Robin's a little more of an intense build other than the stick fuselage in the back. Uh, you have to line up a little bit more. The Sky Ranger is a good build. And the Javelin, either one of those are probably the best building just for pure sake of building something that builds fairly quick. Those are the, probably the two easiest to build airplanes yeah but Um, terry's already built the sky ranger oh okay maybe maybe the javelins are our three view in that case he's getting a robin hood then we're gonna make him work (laughs) (laughs) he he gets a robin hood box but it has to look like a javelin when it's done (laughs) go hey uh one thing i'd like to ask uh on your website You've got all these beautiful kits and so forth, but there's a tab at the top that says decor, ornaments, and more. Can you give us a little insight on that uh, little panel there? When making kits, you end up with extra wood. Um, In my case, extra plywood, eighth-inch light ply, and, of course, balsa. Um, What do you do with all this stuff? Because it's not big enough to really use in anything, but you don't want to throw it out because, well, frankly, I paid for it. 
But in some cases, it's, they're big chunks. Like I've got three thirty-second inch pieces of balsa down there. They're probably eight inches long. You don't want to throw them out. You need to figure out something to do with them. And that's where this decor and other stuff came in. Uh, I make some other kits. Uh, there's a, a hanger kit that I make. It's a little small. Basically, it's copied off an old Christmas ornament. It's about uh, three, three to four inches cubed, basically, that you put together in about 15 minutes. If that particular one is all balsa wood. It's all etched. They all did all tabs together nicely. Uh, I kind of jokingly refer to this when I talk to dealers as a gateway drug to get people in, get kids in the building because it uses all the same techniques we use to build an airplane. Uh, you just making a very small hangar instead. And that's one of them. The earrings came about, um, basically I was making them for my wife. Um, they're made out of the same plywood that I make the airplanes with and, uh, just different designs. So it's a, it's a top view of, I think I've got, uh, 30 or 40 different designs there. Um, basically scale airplanes, you know, B-17s or F-86s, popular airplanes. And that's how those came about. Yeah. I never noticed that. Okay. I'm making a request for P-38 earrings. P thirty eight, okay. And only if only if you're wearing I will. them during <laughs> to pierce the maybe a nose oh, ring. <laughs> only if you wear them during the podcast. I, I, you, you, no, see to me I, I humorly watch this as like this is what you do. You buy a nice little uh, earring for your wife when you make that big purchase and say, Hey dear, look, I got this for you. <laughs> Don't worry about the big box. This is I bought this for you. P thirty eight for you, P thirty eight for me. Yes. There you go. There. Yeah, matching P thirty eights. That reminds me, I did see um, at another meeting for one of my other hobbies, somebody brought in a uh, laser cut sort of, I don't know what it was, uh, kind of a, uh, it, it was for a model train, HO scale train, uh, a thing that the, the train pulls in and it's sort of a building, and, but it was all laser cut wood and stuff and so i guess that's another possibility if you're looking to the, some of the model train stuff you might be able to use some of spare wood for doing that kind of stuff as well that's actually a huge market i'm not a train guy uh, it's just nothing i've been involved with but several of the dealers have mentioned the prices that some of that stuff gets and the profit margin in it there's a huge uh, huge following for that. Mostly HO, I'm guessing. But yeah. yeah, all kinds of, you know, if you think a guy that makes a layout, makes the buildings and the, the houses and the factories and, you know, all the stuff that goes into his diorama, uh, you, you could make all that a water tower, uh, yeah, outhouse, you know, whatever, whatever else is in there. Uh, well, yeah, there's a huge following. For yeah, this. the nice thing is it's actually wood. So the, the one mm-hmm. I saw, the guy had basically just taken wood and stained it and glued it together and it looked really nice. Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. Some of the other things that you'll see on that page, um, I'm not, I'll be honest, I don't know everything that's on that page because I make more than what's there, but um, I do some craft stuff for some stuff locally. I make some little lamps, which are Art Deco look cut out. I think the Kleenex boxes are on there, tissue boxes. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I do some keychains and some other yeah. little various craft Lots of nice little knickknacks. That's really neat. So, so what's, uh, what's, Coming up, anything new, you, a new plane design you had in a gleam in your eye about or something you're working on that you can talk about? Um, it's not that I don't want to tell you. I honestly don't know what the next one's going to be yet. But that being said, I'm. these are three very wild 
different directions. I'm thinking of a twin because I don't have a twin. <laughs> people, have asked, people have asked me for a biplane, which I don't know exactly. Yeah, that'd be nice too. And I've been approached to do an old timer, uh, a larger, not one of the huge ones like they had back in the 30s and 40s, but something you know, 70, 60, 70 inch wingspan sort of thing. Like a that like a just free flight kind of thing ish. No, probably more like a Miss America or a, uh, what is the, uh, oh, I can't think of all the names, but the the ones that they use like single channel radios oh, gotcha. back yeah. in the day. Like radio assist. Kind of, thing. Yeah, that's oh. what, of course, we'd update them so they're at least three channel, if not Like a channel. Falcon Junior or something. Yeah, something along those big lines. Ones. Yeah. So uh, I, I've honestly, the Javelin, like every... Everything that I do, you know, you do the Robin Hood, you do, and once that's done, you move on to the next one. The javelin was so intense, I finally got to the end and said, huh, the javelin's done that. Now what do I do? You go to Disney and World. I didn't have an answer. So that's, <laughs> I'm actually, if you, if uh, listeners out there have some ideas, uh, feel free to uh, shout at me and let me know. But uh, those are kind of the directions I'm thinking. Something different than what I've done. Um, not that any of them's right or wrong, and I don't know which way I'm going to go yet. But uh, I'd like to make a request right now. Please do. One. So um, one thing I don't see you have, but would go great for like your toy section or something like that, is some simple like toss gillow airplanes. I got to tell you, some of the best joy I had as a child was a like a gillow type toss glider my dad built for me, and we would just sit there and chunk it out in the front yard all the time. And it just—it just was so durable because we doped it, and it was pretty hardened. And but I tell you, that was just so much fun. So I don't know if you can get your you know skills to build little chunk gliders, but I think you know adding with like the earrings and stuff. If you know these are the kind of things that kid you know adults, people fifty and older who either have kids or, or grandchildren might do an add-on, you know, to throw you know, in the it's, box. It's interesting you mentioned that. Um, kind of a side note: the the craft stuff that I do, I do a craft show here, our our local school. The lady that heads it up um, came and saw what I did last year, and I have one of my original Robin Hood in the bones, one of the very first prototypes hanging on the wall. She saw that and said, "Hey, you need to bring that to the show." And I said, "Are you serious? You know, nobody there's no, gonna want to build this thing first off because these are just regular." People that they're not there. It's not a hobby shop. These are people that are looking for Christmas items and that sort of stuff. But it got me to thinking maybe there's something I should do from a smaller perspective. Yeah, like you mentioned, a gillow size stuff, something that they could, again, a gateway sort of thing to hopefully get them back in. So, well, and, yeah. me, and and I don't mean to say that the, those cheap gillow ones. I'm talking about the ones that were a little bit, you know, where you would sand an airfoil into and, yeah. you know, take a little bit more work. But I'm thinking if it was something that was laser cut that gives you that, that jump up and hopefully maybe in a way you could kind of uh, get the tail surfaces and everything to lock in place versus, you know, needing so much glue or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm just tossing it out there. But I think if, if I had my hands on one of those old gliders, I'd grab a couple and then hand them out to kids and try to get them into the balsa building because isn't that how we all started? We got like one of those cheap balsa gliders and then worked our way up. Exactly. Did that, like that, threw it across the street, and left left it on uh, the roof or in the gutter. Or something. <laughs> yeah, and then you then you added fireworks to them. You know, <laughs> right? We're all on the same page. <laughs> well, I think that if you built a vertical stabilizer for a Corsair, say sixty inch wingspan, 
I, I know a guy who would buy about a dozen. Just the vertical story, but just the vertical fin. That's it. That's uh, all. That's all. I mean, that's all my friend needs. Uh, I've had three. I've had three nose overs on my Corsair, and every time I busted my fin and rudder. So I'm now on my third one. Okey-dokey. I think Rubbermaid. Maybe Rubbermaid is what I need to make it <laughs> <Yeah>. out <laughs> Or put a spring on the top so it just pushes the tail right back yeah. over. All right, so I think uh, we have a pretty good idea of what's the, about the inner workings of old school model work. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. And now, does that mean that your work is your hobby now? Or is there stuff that you do airplane related that is aside from the business? At this moment, uh, they're intertwined. Um, it's pretty much what I'm flying now is everything I've designed and made. I'm, not that I don't have other stuff. Uh, one of the, one of the best airplanes I've got is the old Great Plains Waco, the, the larger yellow one. Oh, yeah. I love flying that plane. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, my favorite foamies is the commander that Horizon came out with a couple years ago. Right. Um, you know, I still have those, but most of what I fly is my own stuff. Um, it's just, I'm either testing it or, you know, whatever. It's it's a little little consuming in that aspect. Yeah, I can relate there's, to that. Cause I think there's great I, stuff out there. But, uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I find that now when I'm planning a trip to the field, I'm like, okay, well, I need to take photos of this one, and I have to te- test the stall on this one. And so it, it's rarely like, oh, I can't wait to fly this one again. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have some go-to airplanes, who, whatever they are. Uh, it, it's good to have something you can throw in the car and have fun with. Mm-hmm. Uh, something you know that's going to fly, that you're comfortable with, that can do whatever you want to do. Tear up the sky or cruise around or barnstorm or yeah. touch and goes, whatever it is. Absolutely. So are you planning to attend any events where people can see your stuff live? Uh, yes, I'm hoping to actually weather permitting. I was supposed to already be at the, uh, the AMA's event, what, uh, NIFI weather didn't work out for that one. So I didn't make that, um, Galleon, Ohio next, not this weekend, but next weekend, the weekend after the fourth, um, they have what's called rat fest. And later on, they have one called spook fest. (laughs) Spook fest is in October. So you get the idea for that name, but I have no idea what the rat fest means, but it's a great club. Uh, for 15 bucks, you can go up there, fly all three days. They feed you three meals a day what? for the same 15 bucks. Yes, they do. Oh, man. Uh, it is a good place to fly. It's a grass runway, but it's mowed nice. It's probably one of the nicest laid back clubs I've ever flown at. And, uh, it's the Eagle Squadron. They're up in Galleon, Ohio. So I hope to be up there. Uh, like I say, it'll be a week and a half or something for that. Um, Neat fair is something that's been rattling around in my brain. Uh, not sure how to do that yet, but uh, I definitely want to do that because I think I would fit in pretty good with that sort of stuff. I know someone who too. can help you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Terry. <laughs> and uh, just other things as they come up, it's going to depend on budget and that sort of thing. But sure. uh, yeah, we're definitely wanting to do stuff. Of course, we were Toledo earlier this year, and that was nice being able to put names and faces together. And uh, it's it's. I hope to do more of that. All right, well, good. One other thing I'd like to add, which uh, you guys don't know about, but for listeners of this podcast, uh, for the month of July, I'm going to throw out a uh, extra 5% off for anybody who orders. 
You have to use a keyword, though, and we're going to make it simple. The word round, R-O-U-N-D, round. for the round table here. Ah, so if you cool. order using that keyword, starting, ordering the, first, right now. <laughs> starting <laughs> the 1st of July, because I've got to write, write the code to make this happen. That hasn't happened. But it'll start. It'll be active the month of July. Anything you order, you'll get 5% off if you use the keyword round. And uh, be happy to do that for well, you guys for supporting this th- th- this podcast. That's fantastic, and we're honored. I'm looking forward to seeing the P38 earrings up when I order. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to work on those. <laughs> wow, Mark! Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this. This is we got to have you on again because I'm sure there's more stuff we can pick out of your head. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's nice. Uh, I followed you guys for a while. You've been very good to me in putting my stuff on the news section. Terry's been instrumental in doing some review stuff for me, and uh, yeah, it's been great. I, I love the show, and I'll be happy to come back anytime. Yeah. Well, fantastic. It's been extremely enjoyable having you on. You've been a great guest and some really fascinating stories. I have a feeling if we ever met, we could talk for hours about uh, the, the hobby and our, our pass through it. So uh, I guess you're, you're more up in Terry's area. So I imagine you, at some point you guys will probably meet up, maybe at uh, Neat. I know Terry's planning on going there, right, this year? It's on my calendar. Yeah. 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 Well, get, get an interview with him and y'all do a build. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> At neat? Yeah, you could do it. You get that big tent. Didn't you get that big tent last time? Just get some CA and work We're it. doing that again. Okay. Well, Mark's um, there. You can get Mark to help. Yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to do at night? We'll, we'll have to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like just talking. <laughs> a lot. You've never been to neat. It's it's a drinking club with a flying problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, now make it a building problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should be interesting to see what actually comes out of a night of building up there. I'm uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Especially if you're half drunk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, uh, thanks again uh, for joining us. It's been uh, we really appreciate your time and effort. And we'll post links to your website up on our uh, various uh, social media pages. And this is uh, Mark Lancherman at uh, Old School Model Works, where they build models the old school way. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the show at some other point in the future. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, take care and, uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com, where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts, where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.